Good evening, Wisdom Eccentrics by Natchang Rinpoche, Chapter 27, Part 2. So that's how it turned out that Drukpa Kunli furnished the demon with a quick flick on the head with his shrunk. He gave him the Ganyan vows of the five precepts together with the name Ox Devil. He made him a protector of the locality and to this day offerings are still made to him. Oh yeah, Rinpoche exclaimed, there are many stories of Drukpa Kunli like this and they mainly concern unconventional behaviour. Vajrayana is not conventional. Convention belongs to dualism. And although there are methods and systems, Rukpa Kunli shows that the essence of Vajrayana is beyond all systems. Something struck me in this uh, along these lines, Rinpoche. I decided I'd follow an idea that had occurred to me. Rinpoche nodded to me, indicating that I should say what I had to say. Well, it's the way the story begins, where Drukpa Kunli confuses the demon and his minions simply by providing them with conflicting information. The demon and the minions are easy to confuse simply because they can only think in categories. Categories like what's alive and what's dead. It's dead for this reason and alive for that reason. The end result is that there's nothing about the body they can comprehend. Therefore, they come to the conclusion that they can't eat it. It's perhaps like that with how people view the non-dual state. It satisfies nothing that we think we want, therefore we don't want it, even though we say we want it. Rinpoche smiled at me. Oh yeah, you see now what Kunzang Dorje does not see. Now Kunzang Dorje becomes a Tomyor. Now you must shout at me. I was about to protest this statement when Rinpoche, aware that I was about to contest it, frowned in obvious mock severity. Then he laughed. I will tell another story of Drukpa Kunli. Standing by the Lang River, Drukpa Kunli looked up into the hills and decided to take a stroll. He was not sure what direction to take or how far to travel. So he whipped an arrow from his quiver, fitted it into his bow and shot it high into the air. Guess I'll go find it and stay the night wherever it falls. He then started a long ascent up out of the Langtso Valley. After some hours, Drukpa Kunli saw the La Tsong demoness approaching. She was dressed in bizarre raiment, the like of which defied description. He whipped out his schlong, as was his wont, summoned up an erection and transformed it into a pillar that ascended into the sky. The Song demoness was aghast at the sight of an, such an immense schlong and changed into a venomous snake in order to escape the sight of it. Drukpa Kunli summarily placed his foot on her head 
and her outer form was petrified. It can now be seen as a shape in the stone in the track that leads up from the river. He then oath-bound her to protect practitioners in that area, and today she is the protector of the Lang River. With this accomplished, Drukpa Kunli continued on his way and eventually arrived at the door of Tulpa Tsewang's dwelling. This is where his arrow had fallen. Time to take a leak, he thought, and urinated against the wall. What an enormous schlong that Nakpa has, some observant children commented in amazement. And check the size of his scrotum. Drukpa Kunli laughed at their astonishment. In the summer, when the blue Kujuk bird sings, my schlong's pretty long and my nuts hang low. In the winter, when the purple stag rears its head, the head of my penis expands. All year round, it's an insatiable creature that cares little about the seasons. When he heard this song, Topa Tsewang ran down to greet Drukpa Kunli. Thank you, Drukpa Kunli, for ridding us of the demoness and for pissing on my wall. I have Chang for you. Please come in. Yeah, 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 Drukpa Kunli replied. It's thirsty work, oath-binding a demoness. Once inside the house, he asked, So, Tsewang, tell me, where's my goddamn arrow? Right here. Please stay and rest at my home. I would be honoured. Sure, good man. I'd be happy to do that. But, hey, who's the extremely lovely lady? That's my wife, Rigsin Norbu, the good-natured fellow replied. Drukpa Kunli took her in at a glance. Well, that's as may be, he smiled. My arrow hasn't gone astray. It's taken me directly to this voluptuous emanation of wisdom display. Say well, my good man. You'll oblige me by leaving us in privacy for a while. Sewan was not well pleased with this arrangement, Riggs in Norbu being his wife and all. Damn your eyes, you riotous, libidinous wretch, he yelled, grabbing his sword from the wall. I offer you hospitality after you piss on my goddamn wall, and then you have the effrontery to tell me to get out of my own room so you can roger my wife. You may try this kind of trick in Tibet, but folks here in Bhutan don't take none too kindly to it. Sewang lobbed his sword, but Drukpa Kunli caught it in midair and tied it in a knot and pitched it back. At the same time, he caught Rigsin Norbu by the waist, flipped up her dress and whisked her onto his lap. Rigsin Norbu had little or no say in the matter. Oh, I see, Tsewang apologised profusely, having just witnessed the miracle of the knotted sword. I didn't actually know you were a realised being. Had I understood that, I'd not have acted like an ape. Anyhow, you just go ahead, never mind about me, and 
stay here as my llama for the rest of my life, if you will. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll stay a while and we'll see what happens. But in the meanwhile, as you can see, your wife and I are rather busy bonking, so we'll see you later when I'm less preoccupied. During the time that Drukpa Kunli stayed there, Rigzin Norbu conceived and gave birth to a child who was the incarnation of a Lama. He was named Nyawang Tenzin, and he grew up to be a powerful Nakpa who founded a great hermitage. What do you say to this story? Rinpoche asked. Sounds as if I'd better learn to tie knots in swords, Rinpoche. Rinpoche burst out laughing. Yeah, now you make jokes with Kunzandorje. This, I think, is your real character. But what else can you say? It shows a world where Drukpa Kunli is understood and it makes me think that life would be astonishing if that was still possible. Oh yeah, people like these stories, but they do not like it when these things happen in their own time. Then they are full of concepts and pretensions. It also occurs to me, Rinpoche, that this story is like a template. I then had to describe a template. I use that word because I really don't want to call it an analogy, as if it had another meaning that was hidden in its form. But it seems to me that you could change each aspect of the story for another image or action, and it would be equally as strange. I mean, the main point is that no one understands what Drukpa Kunli is doing. Rather like young children watching a parent changing a fuse or attaching a plug to the end of an electrical cable. The end result is that the light works again and maybe the child connects the activity with the result and is amazed. Oh yeah, this you are saying well. Maybe then there could be many like Drukpa Kunli in the West who will act in many different ways. The main thing for me, Rinpoche, is that a Lama sets out to teach students and may have to orchestrate situations over a long period of time. And during that time, the students might not understand why the Lama does or says or wears whatever. Oh yeah, maybe you think this is what Kunzandorje does. Definitely, Rinpoche. He laughed. Oh yeah, now nothing is hidden from you in these stories. So maybe now I will tell something of his teaching. Drukpa Kunli was once staying in Jayul, in the dwelling of the local prince. Now there just happened to be a bunch of scholars there and they were doing what scholars do, picking words in the way that beggars pick nits. And they too were beggars in their own way, because none of them had any real understanding. And this is why they were impoverished. These scholars, however, weren't averse to Chang, and so Drukpa Kunli sat with them and shot the breeze a while. 
Say, my good man, said one of the scholars, asked, how is it that you dress the way you do? Well, it's all there in the morning. I put it all on and there it is. It's really quite simple. What method do you employ? What I mean, said the scholar, as if addressing an idiot, is that you wear a toner like a llama, but you wear it over the coat of a brigand. You wear the skirt of a monk, but it's white. You wear the conch earrings of a yogi, but the bow and arrows of a hunter. How do you account for that, eh? Yeah, 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 that's easily explained, Drupa Kunli replied with an idle toss of his head. I wear the tona of a lama because that seems to be what I am. But if I looked too much like a lama, there'd be problems. If people took me for a lama, I'd just become the servant of lama attendants who'd have me running from place to place, babbling and ceremonialising until I had no time to sit gazing into the sky. I wear a skirt like a monk's because my discipline is perfect in every action. My skirt, however, is undyed cotton, the unchanged, uncreated, unstained reflection of primal purity. If I looked too much like a monk, there'd be problems. If people took me for a monk, I'd have to keep all the external disciplines when very few others keep them. And what would be the point of that? The external disciplines are merely there to support the inner disciplines, and I maintain those anyway. I wear the earrings of a yogi because that seems to be what I am. But if I looked too much like a yogi, there'd be problems. If people took me for a yogi, I'd have to endure people viewing me as some kind of celebrity. And what would be the point of that? I'd have to give transmission to aspirants on how to discover the nature of mind, as if it weren't already quite obvious. Yes, another scholar chipped in, that's all fine and good, but why do you go here and there like a stray dog, never staying in one place and sniffing at the butt of every bitch you see? You get spiritual people like us a bad name with all this carrying on. Yeah, 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 and so you say, Drukma Kunli retorted. Whether I'm a bad example or not depends entirely on the perspective of those who witness my behaviour. You see, if an exemplary scholar like yourself happens to be hell-bent on entering a dimension of confusion characterised by contorted self-destruction, then assuming external pretensions that give the appearance of saintliness will not help. If a mercurial maniac wearing mixed dress happens to find himself in the non-dual state, then assuming the appearance of saintliness is irrelevant. As for being a dog with an acute sense of smell, this is far preferable to sitting all day with your nose rammed into the rectum of righteously written reams, questing for quintessential quim when it's there right under your nose, even as we speak.
As for wandering here and there as it pleases me, why would I want to stay in one place? Merely to gather wealth and hide it like a dog hides bones? Although the initial intention in establishing a gompa is highly commendable, the original purpose is often forgotten and the inhabitants of the place spend their days grumbling and growling like dogs. Like dogs, they waste their time sniffing the turds of other dogs to see whether they are as learned as the other famous professors of feces. Can you honestly say this isn't the case? The scholars felt a little edgy at this point and asked what kind of vows he kept to maintain his singular view. Yeah, fair enough. I will tell you, Druk the Kunli sighed. I can't say as I chant refuge to Buddha Dharma Sangha every day like you fellas, but I live the three secret oral instructions in every moment. Think on that a while and take it to heart. I can't say as I recite and visualize every day like you fellas to gain the power of the Yidam but I sure refrain from blighting others with maledictions as if they were opponents. Think on that a while and take it to heart. I can't say as I spend much time on ritual and ceremonies like you fellas to protect myself from non-existent threats, but I sure abstain from wreaking vengeance on enemies I haven't got. Think on that a while and take it to heart. I can't say as I meditate on emptiness like you fellas, but I sure dwell in the state where emptiness and form are non-dual and therefore have no need to empty mind of the movement of natural energy. Think on that a while and take it to heart. I can't say as I constrict, control and contrive my behaviour like you fellas but I sure steer clear of hypocrisy, duplicity and self-deceit. Think on that a while and take it to heart. I can't say as people recognise me none too well in terms of the usual spiritual criteria. I mean, I'm not like you fellas, but I sure have no yearning for realisation in the future. Think on that a while, my friends. These are my vows, and maybe you all can take them to heart. At this, the scholars were dumbfounded, but appreciative. Each according to his own perspective, asked Rukbukunli to extrapolate, extrapolate a little further on the points he made, and all acknowledged him to be without peer. It seems, I began, that Drukpa Kunli was always coming up against the ways in which the approach to Dharma was being distorted. I don't have much to say about the content because it's pretty much self-explanatory, but it makes me feel as if there ought to be a modern day version of this for Western people. There ought to be a Western Drukpa Kunli who could point to problems of view in the same way. Rinpoche laughed heartily at this. Oh, yeah, you become Drukpa Kunli? 
No, Rinpoche, that wouldn't work. And not because I'm being a self-effacing groveller or anything like that. You know I've done with humile affectations. It's just that a person would have to be able to have an audience. At least people would ask Drupa Kunli questions and listen to his answers. I think that Chugyam Trumpa Rinpoche is definitely a manifestation of Drupa Kunli, and he certainly blows people's distorted ideas apart. But there's plenty of resentment aimed at him from certain quarters. Oh yeah, I have heard this also. But the same was true for Drukpa Kunli. I think maybe one day you will say something. Maybe not so loud. Maybe not so strong. But one day you will say something. We talked well into the evening and it was late by the time I retired to bed to dream about yetis and horses leaping from rocky crags. They were not dreams of clarity or anything of that sort, simply the after image of inspiration, a mirage left in the eyes after catching a glimpse of the sun. <laughs>